This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the Office of Online Services at the Internal Revenue Service, IRS? What is the IRS doing to advance its digital services and enhance customer experience? And how is the IRS leveraging AI and other emerging technologies to meet mission? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Karen Howard, Executive Director of the Office of Online Services at the IRS. Karen, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Karen, could you, for our audience, kind of give us the overview of the history and mission of the IRS's uh, Office of Online Services? Where does it fit in within the overall structure of the agency and how does it help the agency beat its mission? Sure. So the Office of Online Services has been around for about 14 years. Um, The mission is really to advocate for customers and lead the evolution of improved digital experiences by collaboratively aligning with technology, people, and processes. Um, It's uniquely positioned and strategically positioned in the IRS as a direct report to the Deputy Commissioner of Services and Enforcement, which is Doug O'Donnell, and he reports directly to the commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, Danny Warfield. Karen, what is your uh, what are your specific duties and responsibilities as executive director of the Office of Online Services for IRS? Yeah, great question. <laughs> My duties and responsibilities largely involve providing thought leadership and strategic guidance um, to deliver on the agency's strategic objectives in respect to the taxpayers' digital touch points and experiences. Um, specifically, this includes serving and paving the way for um, the teams that manage the technology ecosystem, navigation, and content on the agency's primary website, which is irs.gov, the authenticated and unauthenticated digital applications that are hosted on the irs.gov websites, for example, online accounts, where's my refund, where's my amended return, tax withholding estimator, and so many more. Also, the user experience research design and data analytics for all things digital. I also am am responsible for the front office administration and operational activities for the Office of Online Services that includes but are not limited to talent recruitment, acquisition and retention, budgetary and vendor contract oversight, stakeholder outreach and engagement. Um, Recently, I became the initiative lead of the Inflation Reduction Act Initiative Objective 1.4 of the Strategic Operating Plan, which centers on improving self-service options for taxpayers, specifically the various online accounts and the irs.gov website. Terrific. So I was wondering, with that role, with that portfolio, Karen, what are some of the top management challenges you've faced and how have you sought to address those challenges? Wow. Um, So that's a great question because, you know, we always focus on challenges and opportunities in order to continue to uh, deliver on the mission. 
So given the mission and the vision of my role, I would say if I had to name the top five, (laughs) um, they would be enterprise-wide cultural and operational change management. And this is something that's easy to say, but harder to do. The larger and the older the organization is, the more opportunistic it is to drive rapid transformation and adoption of modern and innovative systems, people, and processes. Another one is talent recruitment and retention. Um, The successful mission of this office requires skills and talents that have not been traditional to the agency and are highly, highly sought after in the private sector. Competing for these specialized talents and skill sets with industry has to be done with a value proposition that goes well beyond pay and financial gains. I would say the third one is arduous operational process, business processes, um, a.k.a. pace and bureaucracy, right? The agency's mission is to digitally transform and innovate to keep better pace with industry and taxpayer expectations. Many internal processes and systems kind of impede timely decision-making or the ability to act faster on decisions and directions that have been agreed upon. I would say the fourth one would be driving accelerated modernization and innovation, where policies, laws, and legislations and rules are legacy and often counterintuitive or haven't really um, kept pace with um, innovation as we know it today. Lastly, um, which is probably what everyone struggles with, understanding budget constraints and appropriations. Prior to coming to the agency, coming from industry, budget was more flexible with operational expenses, CapEx assets, and CapEx projects. The budget process with the agency is much more complex with lots of intricate details that can get you in trouble if you aren't careful. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good. So I was wondering... When you think of those challenges, the opportunities that you can turn them into, I was uh, what has surprised you, Karen, since taking over this role um, at IRS? Like many who've never worked in the public sector, much like myself before joining, I had a lot of misconceptions and skewed perceptions uh, before taking this role. After taking this role, I was pleasantly surprised by the IRS's initiatives and delivers a lot of incredible public service and benefits administration activities that they really don't do a great job talking about or taking credit for. Most, like like me, only know them kind of as pay up or will come for you and everything you own, right? The compliance and enforcement side. But there are a whole lot of teams and people who work diligently day in and day out on the services and experiences side to make compliance easier and prevent enforcement. The agency has re- recognize this and is doing a much better job of marketing the soft side of of the agency and my role. Uh, Another pleasant surprise was the level of passion and commitment to the purpose and the mission of the agency that is part of the DNA of most every employee that works for the IRS. I did not see this level in much of my time, even in the private sector. I was pleasantly surprised to see it in the agency. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you're, you're, you're new to the federal government. I was wondering, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your career path and how you got to your current leadership position. Sure. Um, my career path to the agency is a bit unique. Um, I joined at the height of the pandemic in August of 2020, um, pre-vaccination. Um, 
I'm not an attorney. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a tax expert or law enforcement person. And though these are all great careers, they have never been anything near what I've aspired to be. So when the agent agency approached me, it was a little surprising. My background really involved working my way up from fashion apparel, special events, frontline retail roles to mid to senior level management in fashion apparel and home retail, retail hardlines, retail manufacturing, and lastly, broker dealer financial services. I think the one commonality and probably what attracted the agency to me and me to the agency is in all of these career levels and fields was a attraction and a commitment to customer service, user experience, and innovative transformation. My path consisted of my personal commitment to continuously learn and grow in my space and craft and to evolve with trends, socioeconomic shifts, and technology. I believe this is what attracted the agency, um, the agency's recruiter to me, and ultimately that's why I was attracted to the agency. I could continue to learn and grow in a totally new sector while bringing my learnings and skills to help the agency transform and grow digitally. Well, that's great. So with that background, and it's a very unique background, but the focus, it seems to be, is on the customer and building the customer experience, which is very important in the current administration. Um, I'm wondering, how do you lead, uh, Karen? Perhaps you could share with us some of your leadership principles that you follow and, and who's influenced you. Sure. Um, my leadership style is informed by the people I serve, and that includes not only my direct reports, but the end customer, in this case, the taxpayer. Um, I lead more with my eyes and ears rather than my mouth. I do a lot of listening and observing and then asking questions so that the vision that I set and the actions that I take are as informed as possible um, to those who are most impacted. Um, I enjoy finding creative ways to engage with my team, stakeholders, and customers in professional and, and casual settings so I can learn more and make decisions based on, um, again, the customer and the people that I serve. I've often been referred to as a servant or an empath leader, sometimes rarely to a fault, but most times to being a strong, successful leader. My leadership style is really focused on recruiting talent and skilled people and getting out of their way to allow them to do what I hired them to do, grow and thrive. My role is then strategically reduced to providing the vision, strategic goals and expected outcomes, along with high level support, usually by blocking and tackling, ensuring transparency and providing that guidance that they need to continue to be successful. I truly believe that the best leaders surround themselves with people on their teams that are experts in their craft and are in many cases smarter than me. Uh, strong, confident leaders hire to their blind sides and while learning from these subject matter experts, kind of get out of the way and let them soar in their craft to improve or the organization. It benefits no one when leaders think they know everything and have to be the smartest person in the room. That leadership mentality really stifles growth, creativity, diversity, and inclusion all around. And that is contradictory to the way I lead. What is the IRS doing to advance its digital services and enhance customer experience? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
This is the Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness, brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Leadership Fellow at the Center and host of its weekly interview program, the Business of Government Hour. The Center This Week is our opportunity to inform and most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the Center as a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal levels. My guest today is Dr. Michael Kanick, author of Ruthless Consistency, How Committed Leaders Execute Strategy, Implement Change, and Build Organizations That Win. What prompted you to write Ruthless Consistency, and what do you mean? Well, in a word, failure. Seeing the ongoing failure rate of, of strategic change initiatives, you know, the companies have good intentions, good ideas, good, you know, good plans, but the execution is the hard part. And the research has shown that in the past 40 years, roughly, failure rates for these major initiatives continue to be around 60 to 70%. So given that's the reality, and my world has been developing and executing strategy with companies over the past you know, 20 years, I really wanted to pass on some of the things that I have found have been very successful in implementing strategic change. As a follow-up, being consistent sounds simple. Why isn't it? And taken too far, doesn't consistency mean being inflexible? Where is there room for creativity and innovation if you're ruthlessly consistent? Right, right. Well, to your first point, it does sound simple. You know, just be consistent. What makes it difficult, of course, is that as a leader, you're on stage 24-7. And people are reading meaning into everything you say, everything you do, everything you don't say, you don't do. You're on stage. So you've got to be very careful. Am I sending consistent messages? because people will pick up on the inconsistencies in, in a heartbeat. Now, when you ask, you know, doesn't it mean being, in, could it mean being inflexible? Well, by ruthless consistency, I don't mean, I don't mean robotic repetition. You know, this isn't about mindless and mechanical activity uh, just for the sake of being consistent. What I'm really talking about is a ruthless consistency of purpose. One that's constantly projected in your decisions, your actions, because it's the relentless alignment of decisions, actions, and intentions that really is the foundation of success. So let me give you an example. Let's say you want to have build a culture of innovation, for example. Okay. Well, how does innovation, you know, how, how does that align with the idea of consistency? Well, a ruthless consistency of purpose means everything we do needs to support a culture of innovation. So that means how we you know, communicate to people, how we train them, what resources we give them, what we measure, the goals we set. And we want to create an environment where everything points them towards innovation. And to be successful, frankly, you know, innovation isn't counter to ruthless consistency. It's really a requirement in today's business. To achieve your purpose, you can't be static. You've got to evolve. You've got to grow. You've got to try new things. You've got to experiment. Innovation and creativity is part of how you achieve that consistency of purpose. So again, it's not about robotic repetition. It's really about you know making sure that everything we do, as creative and innovative as that might be, is consistently aligned with your purpose, your intentions. Michael, you noted in your book that every case of failure you came across could be traced back to inconsistency. What does it look like when leaders are inconsistent? Well, it'll be things like, you know, they set goals, but they don't provide the resources to achieve them. You know, so we've got big visions, big dreams. Hey, we're going we're gonna to get to the moon, but oh, it's going to cost some money. Geez, we don't want to, you know, invest the resources to do it. That's a mixed message. That's inconsistency. 
It's when you promote something like an excellent customer experience, but as long as managers hit their financial targets, then the customer experience doesn't really matter. It's when we tell people, you know, this absolutely is the most important thing we have to do, but we don't give people the skills to do it. So any of those mixed messages, any of those things are what, what underline, you know, consistency and undermine our efforts. And they're subtle sometimes, but they're very powerful. So, Michael, how does the principles of ruthless consistency apply both to the operations of government as well as the, the politics of governance? I think the most obvious way is that, you know, in, in government, we typically have, you know, an election cycle, which means there's very little incentive to focus on longer term interests. In fact, some longer term problems or issues they're actually disincentives to deal with them because they might involve short-term pain or sacrifice. And the example everybody knows about, of course, is the, you know, you think of the percent of federal spending that goes towards, you know, the major social programs like Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare and other major programs. Well, a lot of those programs are growing as a percent of the federal spending and they're not sustainable. And everybody knows they're not sustainable. However, to do something to deal with this is going to require short-term sacrifice. Well, that's fundamentally inconsistent with the length of the election cycle. So one of the challenges we have when it comes to governance is how do we reconcile solving these longer-term challenges given the short-term disincentive to propose anything that involves pain, that involves sacrifice, because no politician is willing to do that because no you know, voter is going to vote for that. So I think that's one of the challenges, one of the inconsistencies in our system. We're the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Karen Howard, Executive Director of the Office of Online Services at the IRS. Karen, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your strategic vision for IRS's Office of Online Services. Uh, Perhaps you can identify some of your key strategic priorities that frame that vision. Sure. Um, Let's see. Uh, The strategic vision for the office is to continuously partner to innovate and transform the taxpayer experience. Um, This this vision drove the mission statement that I previously mentioned, really advocating for customers and to lead the evolution of improved digital experiences by collaboratively aligning with people, technology, and processes. The top three 
strategic priorities that help frame this vision perfectly align with Commissioner Warfel's top three strategic objectives. So ensuring taxpayers can easily interact with the IRS to meet and comply with their tax needs anytime, anywhere, and from any device through modern digital applications and streamlined business processes, probably number one. Uh, The second one I would say is providing safe and secure transparency to taxpayers of, of their personal information and engagement statuses in easy to understand formats, plain language, language translations, et cetera. Uh, To support an improved experience, ensuring compliance, mitigating audits and enforcement actions, and help address the growing risk of scams and schemes with modern and innovative digital applications like online accounts and where's my refund, where's my amended returns. I would say another one is to increase our data analytics and research efforts to ensure we are focusing on initiatives that are top priorities for our customers, the taxpayer, and stakeholders, while elevating the criticality of the user experience, design, and data-driven decision. I would say those were probably the top three strategic objectives. You know, Karen, as a follow-up to that question and to get more context, uh, are there any specific internal drivers or external trends, uh, maybe the executive order on the customer experience or anything like that, the the PMA, that have shaped and informed your strategy and how you go to market, so to speak? Uh, Yeah, there there are actually. Um, So a lot of those strategic drivers are, are really around a lot of the executive orders that we have uh, seen from the president, a lot of the acts, Taxpayer First Act, IDEA Acts, that, um, that we've also seen of late come into fruition. I would say those in- external drivers are really critical to how to shaping and informing our strategy. So just to give some examples, um, legislative acts like Taxpayer First Act of 2019, the 21st Century IDEA Act, the, infl- the recent Inflation Reduction Act and the funding that came with it, various executive orders and memos of understanding related to taxpayer digital experience use of AI. And I know we'll, we'll probably get into a lot of that later and cybersecurity to name a few. Some of the external stakeholder partner needs um, have a huge play as well. External trends and socioeconomic influences like younger generations, when we talk about Generation Y, Millennials, and Generation Z, their affinity for all things digital. More mature generations like Baby Boomers and Gen X, their unique needs and propensities um, around 508 compliance as an example. The sustainability green movements and stakeholder partners like Taxpayer Experience Office and National Taxpayer Advocate, Erin Collins, play a key role in providing us voice of the customer feedback that really help inform the efforts and initiatives that we um, deliver on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-by-year timeline. That's terrific. So, you know, I was wondering, uh, Karen, uh, would you tell us more about the IRS's taxpayer experience strategy? Sure. Um, So the taxpayer experience strategy is neatly outlined in the 2023 release of the Inflation Reduction Act's 10-year strategic operating plan. The strategy highlights five key objective pillars. Um, The first one is to dramatically 
improve services to help taxpayers meet their obligations and receive the tax incentives for which they are eligible. The Office of Online Services has a huge play in this objective. The second objective being to quickly resolve taxpayer issues when they arise, speaking largely to internal business processes, legislative changes, and integrated technology enhancements. The third really focuses on expanded enforcement on taxpayers with complex tax filings and high-dollar noncompliance to address the tax gap. Secretary Yellen and Commissioner Werfel have defined high-dollar as in those individuals or entities generating over 400K in um, revenue annually. The fourth objective is really around delivering cutting-edge technology, data, and analytics to operate more effectively. The Office of Online Services has a significant play in this objective also. Lastly, and most important, is to attract, retain, and empower a highly skilled, diverse workforce and develop a culture that is better equipped to deliver results for taxpayers. Each of the uh, those objectives pillars has anywhere from eight to 12 initiatives under them. Each of those initiatives can have up to 50 or more projects under them. The agency stood up the first ever Transformation Strategy Office in early 2023 to support the spirit and drive the commitments of the Strategic Operating Plan by focusing on understanding the intersections and interdependencies of each project and to deliver a transparent, integrated strategic roadmap that prioritizes the key requirements, objectives, and outcomes over the next eight to 10 years. That's terrific. I, I was wondering, you know, can we expand on that a little bit in terms of the specifics and what is being done, Karen, to, to promote digital services, including you know, online accounts, digital fi filing capabilities that focus on improving taxpayer self-service? Sure. So promoting what we're doing is critical to the success and really the return on investment in the funds we've received from the Inflation Reduction Act. So some of the things that we're doing, external outreach, which we've always done, but we're doing much more aggressively and strategically, really aligning ourselves with industry organizations, state and local government, and various other public-facing opportunities to share our roadmaps, successes, our efforts and accomplishments while seeking feedback. Um, the national tax, nationwide tax forums um, that usually takes place every year in five major cities for two days each from about July through mid-September um, of each year. This year will be the second in-person event post-pandemic. With all of our accomplishments enabled by IRA funding and improving the online experience by taking digital applications to the next level, we really plan to show up really big this year in those events. Another opportunity is Latino Tax Fest of 2024, which is happening around June in Las Vegas. Representatives from the agency will be attending and, and presenting at that event. Online services is working through budget to try to send representatives as well to really talk about the initiatives that we've um, delivered that really help and, and benefit the taxpayer. We do monthly digital days internally where OLS showcases, OLS as an Office of Online Services, showcases new enhancement releases to our digital products agency-wide for internal awareness that ultimately translates to external adoption. 
various other opportunities to show up as subject matter experts in keynotes, headliners, podcasts, webinars, panels, panel facilitators, and so much more. We're also looking at how to leverage our VITA sites and tax centers to drive digital services awareness. The recent, I would say around December of 2023, structural reorganization of the highest at the highest levels of the agency was a bold move towards helping the agency work more efficiently and ensure we keep progressing forward in efforts like expanding and promoting digital services. The new structure supports the long-term efforts to modernize the IRS. This change will allow for more specialization on emergency priorities in the transformation work while strengthening the senior team's oversight capabilities and flexibilities on pressing tax administration issues. Um, You might recall the structural change was initially introduced in the 2019 Taxpayer First Act. And through this change, we'll be able to really promote more efficiently and and more practically all of the um, services that we're delivering to help taxpayers. That's terrific. And uh, I was wondering, there's the survey, the Taxpayer Experience Survey. I'd like to discuss that a little bit in the sense that what proactive measures are being taken, Karen, to help understand taxpayer behavior and preferences and make it easier for you folks to to meet taxpayers where they are and and for them to voluntarily comply? Uh, Yeah. So the Taxpayer Experience Survey, which, by the way, is hosted on irs.gov website, It's a collaborative effort from our wage and investment and research analytics and applied sciences teams. Um, This survey, among several others, is an ongoing means for the agency to capture feedback from taxpayers to inform agency strategies, decisions, and prioritizations. Surveys are excellent for getting feedback and understanding issues and the what is happening and where the pain points are but they don't help us to get to the why and the how we can solve for the solution. This is where behavioral, digital, and data analytics coupled with the survey feedback comes into play. Behavior analytics can help understand the user's actions and are crucial to informing next steps that can often predict future issues or areas that should be focused on. Another way is user testing. User testing and research is a preamble to any initiative. It helps to ensure we are delivering a solution that addresses the needs of the user and the expectations of stakeholders and the American public at large. It also helps inform the ultimate product or application or the process design. Very helpful. So how is IRS working to improve online engagement, focusing on improvements, increasing capabilities and user abilities for all users across all types of devices? How's that happening? Okay. So the Office of Online Services work with, with, works with site design teams, business stakeholders, research and analytics teams, content strategists, and technology partners to develop an online style guide we call the OSG that ensures best practices based on industry standards, user and stakeholder feedback, and legislation and laws. The online style guide outlines consistent standards for online applications and tools. It's constantly updated. It is not a one and done um, document. We're constantly updating it um, to address internet devices and varied versions. 
508 compliance issues, language translations uh, that we've identified are critical to our stakeholders and taxpayers, mobile and desktop page design standards, and, and really a whole lot more. Um, the online style guide is also public facing and can be found in section 2.5 of the Internal Revenue Manual on IRS.gov. So Karen, how does your office ensure that IRS's digital product features and capabilities are driven by the needs of IRS's business units? Yeah, very good question. Um, Because the collaboration, obviously, based on our mission and vision is critical key and critical to the existence of my office. So for 90% of the digital products hosted on irs.gov, the Office on Online Services teams is the product manager and not the product owner. And that's a really, really critical distinction. Um, When I started, I grappled with the structure um, my first few months (laughs) um, because it, it creates another level of alignment approval and decision-making that I had not seen in my recent private sector experience. But it works because the product owner resides in the principal operating divisions or business unit. Product owners and product managers have to work side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder daily to discuss site enhancements, feedback received, product analysis and analytics and performance data, roadmap prioritization, and so on. Much of this also happens in various tech and business web application and development governance boards, where alignment and prioritization on features and capabilities are discussed and agreed upon. You know, this was, again, like I said, an area that was, you know, different from my recent experience in the private sector. But if you go back to how we're positioned and structured in a very autonomous nature with the organization, that's really how um, how it works and it works well. Uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, transition to my next question. It's around telling us a little bit more about the work being done by the user experience and design branch within your office, I believe. And how does it work to, you know, make sure that the usability of the IRS products and services are there? Sure. So when I joined the agency in August of 2020, the UX um, user experience and design team, um, affectionately known as UXD team members, were a subdivision under the digital products division. That was a, that structure was disturbing to me as user experience and design can't be as successful and can't bring their what I call superpowers or their value thoroughly understood as a subset of digital products. UXD would have never been given the space or place to deliver on their expertise in that structure. So in early 2022, we decided to restructure USD into its own division within online services and to several, um, a direct hire legislation to recruit a leader that lived and breathed the space and could elevate the branch to bring the value desperately needed by the agency. In February of 2023, we bifurcated the UXD team from digital products into its own branch and division. Currently, this team is hardworking to bring awareness of their value and to ensure user experience research is a preamble to every digital product and process and user experience design is table stakes to build into the DNA of the application, digital application and digital product development and lifecycle management process to ensure delivery 
of user-centric, usable, and adaptable products. Still very much in infancy, though, this team of industry and public sector experts are working with internal stakeholders and external resources to deliver an agency future vision of UX research to inform the design process. They are also working to deliver by mid-year a very robust enterprise customer journey improvement mapping that will address the journey of the taxpayer and the and the digital customer as a priority. Insights from pain points and root cause diagnostics and recommendations for projects to improve their overall customer or taxpayer experience. This delivery will also include a standard operating playbook so that the effort is repeatable and a standard for the organization and not just a one and done project. This will definitely be a test of how to drive enterprise change management and transformation transformative innovation in an organization the size and the age of the IRS. The working process is that user experience research and design is at the table, kind of like during appetizers, for new applications, features, capabilities, and prioritization discussions and decisions. This is the best place for them to bring their superpowers. Understanding the business needs early allows them to access or do research to ensure solution discussions are in line with user expectations, again, leveraging data, feedback, and other testing methodologies. They can bring their findings into solution discussions and decisions. Next, they would work hip-to-hip with technology developers and coders on the ideal user-centric design. How is the IRS leveraging AI and other emerging technologies to meet mission? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is the Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness, brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Leadership Fellow at the Center and host of its weekly interview program, the Business of Government Hour. The Center this week is our opportunity to inform and most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the Center as a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal levels. My guest today is Chester Elton, co-author with Adrian Gostick of Leading with Gratitude. So Chester, why is gratitude, especially today, an essential quality for an effective leader? You know, we've been doing a lot of research, you know, real time on how do you lead through a crisis? And of course, you can't lead effectively through a crisis if you don't have credibility before the crisis. Two things that we found that you really have to amplify and ramp up is communication, because in a communication void, fear fills that void, right? And the second is gratitude. This idea of filling the void with with hope and gratitude, it's often seen as a soft skill and a nice to have. It's not a soft skill. It's a hard skill. And it is not a nice to have. It's a must have, especially when you're going through hard times. People need to be informed and they need to feel valued. And communication and gratitude check both those boxes. Your book, Chester, uh, does a wonderful job of providing practical uh, advice and, uh, and guidance. 
Well, so why is it so important to create triggers in your work and in your life as a leader to remember to focus on gratitude? You know, I, and I love the triggers. We all get busy. We all get, you know, I've got to check the boxes. We're doing hard things today and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm doing more with less. You know, this is unprecedented times. The triggers help remind you to do those things every day that build the culture that you want and that create the right relationships you want. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We have uh, Carlos Aguilera is one of our, our favorite executives for Avis Budget Rental Car in Dallas, Texas. And one of the triggers that he sets up for himself is he puts 10 coins in his left pocket. And it reminds him to have 10 positive interactions with his people every day. And the way he keeps track is he moves a penny from his left pocket to his right pocket. A simple little trigger. And it's really interesting as, as we were interviewing him for our book, All In, which was all about culture. He said, you know, it's interesting. If I get to lunch and I've got eight pennies in my left pocket, I'm not doing my job. That simple trigger, that simple reminder, really effective, don't you think? For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Karen Howard, Executive Director of the Office of Online Services at the IRS. Uh, are there any plans and what would they be uh, for uh, social media expansion, extending IRS's presence across uh, various social media platforms? Mm-hmm. Okay. So social media efforts are primarily the responsibility of the Office of Communications and Liaison. That said, <laughs> we are working closely with that office to integrate an awareness strategy that allows online services to drive awareness, promote the enhancements and advancement of digital services to improve the taxpayer experience. We understand the power of social media and its impact on driving change and distributing information. We want to leverage it and be the authoritative source for keeping the public aware of everything we're doing to meet or exceed their expectation. And as a talent recruitment vehicle, our efforts are only successful if we can drive mass adoption to digital tools. So everything we're doing, everything that's being funded is only going to be successful if people use it. A robust social media uh, strategy will help us do that in a more expeditious and hopefully viral manner. And um, I would say we started using um, LinkedIn and um, Twitter 
earlier this year for recruitment. We're looking to expand that so that we can get the best uh, overall awareness and adoption over the next year. Uh, online services hired a digital engagement specialist early, even before the Inflation Reduction Act, in anticipation of our need to basically tell our story and tell our story in a way that has the, the, the biggest impact and the mass distribution for awareness. So, Karen, there's a Government Accountability Office GAO report from 2019, which claims that the IRS online services are not fully consistent with key requirements and leading practices. I'm just wondering, to what extent does the IRS's long-term plan consider taxpayer input for identifying and prioritizing new online services? Mm -hmm. So I believe the strategic operating plan um, from the Inflation Reduction Act that was released last April support and funded by the Inflation Reduction Act is the perfect response to how the agency is addressing the claims in the, in the GAO report. Um, the IRA strategic plan combined with the IRA funding provided the necessary resources for the next eight to 10 years and beyond for the agency to properly analyze the combination of taxpayer research, feedback, input and data to identify the most valuable needs and services of the taxpayer and inform the prioritization of those findings. To what extent, Karen, um, does your office apply advanced analytics to develop clear understanding of taxpayer needs and preferences that, that kind of carve out and are able for you folks to build a personalized experience when using the online services? Mm-hmm. So the short answer to that is to a very large extent, <laughs> and I'll expand. We leverage online data analytics, offline data analysis provided by our stakeholder partners, feedback analysis provided by various agency surveys, and employee input to better understand user behavior, user pain points, user needs, and the various taxpayer segments and personas, and to predict and forecast taxpayer behavior anticipating needs and providing proactive guidance and support. While the Office of on as Online Service stood up a separate division focused solely on user experience research, analytics, and design, we telegraphed the importance of getting much more intentional and purposeful around this need, which supports the agency's goal of being taxpayer and user-centric in everything we do. What is being done in that area that you're talking about, online services enhancements, to alleviate taxpayer burden? So we've identified the research and feedback um, that the biggest obstacles uh, and, and those things that really add to taxpayer burden are lack of accessibility to accurate, timely, comprehensive, and personal information. The, and the ease of understanding such information whether because of a need for plain language or translation. Addressing these items are germane to the office's vision and mission and to delivering on objective one of the Inflation Reduction Act strategic operating plan. Building out features and capabilities in authenticated and unauthenticated digital tools and ensuring that the IRS's .gov website navigation and content is managed with a customer-centric not an agency-centric lens, will make, will make drastic leaps and headway in alleviating taxpayer burden. In my opinion, the money shot, 
strategic initiatives are the various online accounts that we've been enhancing and rolling out in the last three to six months. The individual online account has had huge enhancements in it. The tax pro account has been enhanced. And then we recently rolled out the business tax account. Enhancing these tools with secure and transparent personal information is the linchpin to all things related to the taxpayer having a great experience. To me, the ultimate experience road leads to robust online accounts. Mm. That's a that's a great point. I, I want to transition from what we've been discussing to to AI and related technologies. Um, uh, Karen, how can uh, you know artificial intelligence and emerging technologies better enable taxpayers, including small businesses, to navigate tax filings and address em- sort of emerging con- areas of concern like cryptocurrency, energy tax credits, and of course the COVID relief. Sure. Um, So first and foremost, by helping the agency better understand the emerging concerns and be proactive and more efficient in providing solutions, I think is is one of the greatest benefits of AI and related technologies. Another area that taxpayers will find useful is personalized guidance. AI can offer guidance to taxpayers based on their individual needs and unique situations relieving the cognitive burden by making the process more understandable. Chatbots and virtual assistance technologies can provide near real-time support to taxpayers while also responding to frequently asked or the most common tax queries, reducing wait times, abating calls, and improving accessibility. Automating document processing. Newer AI-based technologies can automate the extraction and processing of information from documents, simplifying the submission of required information without manual data entry. This can expedite the timelines for refunds, audits, filing activities, and such. Fraud detection is another area near and dear to the agency and the taxpayers' hearts. New technologies powered by AI algorithms can be leveraged to detect potential fraud activities or tax filing errors, thus enhancing security and compliance. Predictive analytics powered by AI to forecast tax liabilities, identify possible deductions, aid in future tax obligation plannings for organizations, tax professionals, and businesses. AI-driven user interfaces are more intuitive and user-friendly, making the filing process for taxpayers with varying levels of expertise much simpler. Utilizing AI for robust cybersecurity measures can help safeguard taxpayer information and prevent breaches and identity theft. Lastly, AI-enriched BPA, business process automation, will benefit taxpayers in minimizing lengthy processes and red tape that have plagued the agency for so long. I was wondering, you kind of alluded to it, but I was wondering if you had any more to add around how this technology is streamlining operations uh, and what is its potential to improve tax administration? Yeah, so we're in the very early stages of leveraging AI to, to streamline operations. The recently released executive order will assist in accelerating AI with guardrails, standards and um, regulations expected and spelled out aimed at promoting and regulating um, AI in the government. 
One of our priorities is to leverage it to reduce manual data analysis to pinpoint anomalies in tax administration, tax compliance, and cybersecurity efforts and inform and guide our priorities and initiatives in these areas. So, Karen, staying with uh, artificial intelligence, I was wondering, what are some of the key considerations for both governance and developing transparent and ethical AI? Well, the number one consideration, and even pre-AI, this has always been the number one consideration for the agency um, in this, and not unlike all other initiatives, is safety and security and privacy of taxpayer personal data and information. Talent required to do AI right, whether it is hiring or upskilling, is one of the other key considerations. We need prompt engineers, data scientists, data analysts, whose sole job is to have a continuing conversation with the data that the machines are learning with and from and the output that they provide. Among other, these are roles and skills that we'll have to compete with industry for. They are vital to ensure we keep humans in the loop, or what we call human adjudicators, when dealing with AI and being um, ethical about our usage of AI. Ensuring we are the authoritative source for the responses provided by things like ChatGPT, managing and fencing our content to ensure certainty and confidence in the responses, how we govern usage with transparency to ensure confidence and public trust. We have already started this with um, an established data and analytics strategic integration board and data and analytics advisory group. And of course, the usual suspects when it comes to key considerations for ethical AI, deep fakes, biases, hallucinations, ethical usage, and the threat vectors from cyber criminals are all in the forefront of our considerations as we begin to roll out AI in a lot of our processes and as part of tax administration. That's terrific. Um, Karen, are there any other key accomplishments you'd like to highlight? And, and, and more importantly, what does the future hold for your office at IRS? Yeah, to name a few worth, worth mentioning, this is where we kind of like to brag on ourselves a little bit. You know, we're going to continue to address limited English proficient populations with our translation efforts. We're leveraging data and research to identify the most common language needs for the site and addressing top visited pages and applications for translations. Currently, the site has translations in seven languages, the most common being Spanish, and we anticipate that um, the language count will continue to grow. Another area is ensuring an enhanced mobile experience. Optimizing the websites and the applications that sit on the website for mobile devices ensure the site is accessible to users how they prefer and engage primarily through tablets and smartphones. We're also tracking, researching, and understanding and exploring the latest technological trends around chat GPT and large language models, quantum technology augmented reality, and biometrics to understand potential valuable use cases for consideration and testing. Advanced synchronous and asynchronous digital communication channels, providing one and two-way communication, chat and document upload tools that enable sophisticated and near real-time means for taxpayers to ask questions, receive support, and access specific information from the agency. Although kiosks aren't new, 
I feel like a user-centric kiosk strategy to serve marginalized, low-income, and unhomed communities could be beneficial if done the right way and research. Lastly, I'd speak to expanding online resources. We're continuously researching and working with our internal and external partners to identify digital tools that bring value and solve problems for taxpayers. IRA funding has paved the way for us to explore more useful and helpful tools for taxpayers. We currently offer a wide array of tools over and above online accounts and online filing systems like calculators, trackers, and estimators to help taxpayers understand tax obligation, make beneficial tax filing decisions, confirm eligibility for credits and deductions. For example, FreeFile and the recently released Direct File Phase 1 Limited Pilot, the tax recently enhanced tax withholding estimator, Where's My Refund, and again, Where's My Re- Amended Return are some of the tools that are helping in, in this line of work. Very helpful. So, you know, uh, Karen, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I get asked this a lot, especially coming from over 40 years in the private sector and then jumping into the public sector. The first thing I say to people is it is not for the faint at heart or for those purely seeking monetary gain. It's a perfect career choice for those with lots of grit and are comfortable operating in the grind. It is a place for those committed to and with a passion for serving American citizens and being part of the solution to the opportunities that Americans face while interacting and engaging with government services. If you have a passion for being part of a solution that really solves world problems and want a mission far greater than yourself, then public service is an excellent place to contribute at any stage of your career journey. So, Karen, I want to thank you for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Karen Howard, Executive Director of the Office of Online Services at the Internal Revenue Service, IRS. Be sure to join us next time for another informative insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at iTunes, Spotify, Audible, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Eng presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.